and to prove that it was not poison ivy, she pulled off a leaf and rubbed it on her arm. (laughs) (laughs) It's really stupid, yeah. If you want more mice and rats, I think keep killing. We need snakes. to move away from punishing the snake. I think Eve needs to take responsibility for eating the fruit, and the snake needs to stop being punished for just being in the area talking to her about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame Entenmann's for making delicious donuts. I blame myself when I eat the donuts. Is that your? <laughs> Oh, poison ivy. Poisonous plants. That's what we're talking about today. Poisonous We're plants. talking about poisonous plants today. Specifically poison ivy, poison oak, and poison sumac. Are we recording? Yeah. Are we doing an actual episode? Yeah. So this is for the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> this is for the podcast, okay. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 Ready? Uh, yeah. This is the Take It or Leave a Podcast. And take you go ahead and start, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm starting now. <laughs> yeah. This is Ethan Wise and Nick Farrington with the Take It or Leave a Podcast. Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead and start. <laughs> Where do I start from here? <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I guess I just get take it, stri- take, take it away. Okay. We're live. Okay. <laughs> so this week's episode was actually inspired by a piece from last week's episode. While I was down at the Red River Gorge in Kentucky, one of my friends that was on the hike with us. God, when are you going to stop talking about this Red River Gorge hike, Nick? <laughs> It's like all you are now. (laughs) Sorry. That one short bit, we talked about it. (laughs) So my friend that was on the hike partway through, he asked me to identify poison ivy because we somehow that came up and I was like, oh yeah, there was quite a bit at the start of the trail. And so when we got back to that area, I pointed that out. And then he reminded me of my terrible poison ivy experience that I had a couple of years back, which is one of the stories. Oh, poison ivy, poisonous plants. That's what we're talking about today. Poisonous. We're plant. talking about poisonous plants today. Specifically poison ivy, poison oak, and poison sumac. Unfortunately, half the listeners already turned off because they're like, okay, Nick's just going to talk about hiking again. <laughs> <laughs> So he reminded me of this incident while I was doing some landscaping for a client that I got into poison ivy really, really, really badly. Like probably, probably should have gone to a hospital, but I I didn't. And so I told him, I'm like, hey, text me that. So I remember to write this down when we get back. We should do an episode both on things like poison ivy and most of the range of the United States that the main one of these three that people would run into is poison ivy. So that's what we're going to focus on the most. But in mentioning this to you, we came up with quite a list of funny 
ish. Funny. Our horrible (laughs) experiences. Funny, not at the time, but funny now to talk about uh, experiences with run-ins with Poison Ivy. So that's what this week's episode is about. And we will include several links in the episode description for identification for these three plants. Again, Poison Ivy would be the one that you'd be most likely to run into in the United States. But it's a pretty... Depending on where you live. Right. It's one that comes up pretty regularly in talking to customers or friends. A lot of people don't know how to identify poison ivy, let alone the other two, the the oak and the sumac that are much less common. And then you run into it quite a bit on the gardening groups that you comment on for the show. Yeah, yeah. I think more often than not, my interaction with customers about it, whether it's in person at a garden center or via answering people's questions on some of these gardening groups, I would say more than half the time that people are asking or showing pictures of poison ivy, it is not poison ivy. Poison ivy seems to just be this all-encompassing it's like this this boogeyman of the plants that many of us have created in our brains where if it's a vine People automatically assume the worst. I've and seen poison ivy is uh, not always a vine. Sometimes it grows it, exactly. individually on the ground or in a group on the ground, connected by roots. Yeah, I've seen Virginia creeper, Boston ivy, kudzu, grapevine, wisteria. I've seen them all being classified as poison ivy just out of I think people's innate fear of this plant. So I think it's good that we're going to discuss some of the characteristics of this plant and then also bring to light some other plants like poison oak and poison sumac, which you're far less likely to interact with them, especially in the Midwest. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to knock out poison oak and poison sumac since we'll have less content there just because our interactions are so limited and then we can just dive into everything poison ivy? Yeah, let's do that because we'll end after Oak and Sumac with describing Poison Ivy and then we'll leave our funny stories to the end so that you guys have to stick around for the whole episode. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So you want me, I can talk about Poison Sumac, you do Poison Oak? Yeah, perfect. Especially since you're the one that introduced me to the fact that there was two different types of Poison Oak here, Eastern and Western. So Poison Sumac, I also, I think Sumac in general, just that name also seems to be associated with something toxic. I see that a lot. I've talked to customers at garden centers quite frequently about it, as well as on gardening groups. And most Sumacs that you're going to run into are trees and shrubs that are right. just non-threatening trees 90 and shrubs. plus percent of any sumac that you're going to interact with is not going to be toxic yeah. probably even higher I, I just don't want to put my foot in my mouth and say 95 percent or more so but i feel safe in saying 90 percent. so poison sumac is very rarely seen in most of the united states if it is to be found it's going to be in a swampy area or a peat bog And it's a little bit more common in northern U.S. and Canada. 
and possibly some of the swampland areas on the east coast so where you might we had talked previously about carnivorous plants Mm -hmm. so where you might find carnivorous plants thriving in the united states could also be where you could find or interact with poison sumac low-lying boggy areas right so it's not going to grow where you will find other types of sumac and most types of sumac whether it's a staghorn or a common sumac those are very capable of thriving in dry areas as Mm -hmm. well as wet areas. They have a pretty shallow and expansive root system. Often it's used also on hillsides for erosion control, something like grow low sumac. Yeah, that Um, kind of low growing shrubby. It's kind of visually, it looks like a low growing, like what, two foot and a half, two foot tall shrub, but then it kind of spreads. Oh yeah. One grow low, one grow low shrub. One grow low sumac shrub could spread to about six to eight feet wide. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit goes a long way, especially if you are planting it for erosion control. And then, you know, there's a tiger eye sumac, which is a really cool ornamental tree. I think it mm-hmm. looks like a Dr. Seuss tree with that really cool chartreuse foliage that the fall color, all of them get fall color, but going from that chartreuse foliage into that orangey red color is just such a contrast change. It's really Mm -hmm. gorgeous. But I'm bringing this up because anytime I go to talk to someone about sumac, almost always I get those bug eyes. You know, people get really uncomfortable because they automatically associate it to poison sumac because they just heard poison being this adjective associated to sumac their whole lives where the reality is is that most sumac you're going to interact with is not toxic at all it makes me think of uh snakes like everybody thinks so many snakes are poisonous and most snakes that you'd run into are not venomous I see that a lot in garden groups too, where or like people all snakes have fangs of, of a, <laughs> they just of a don't. snake and they talk about killing them and it was just a garter snake. And I'm like, really? The worst it's going to do to you if you actually happen to grab it is it's going to pee on you. Right. And I know from firsthand experience of capturing many garter snakes, right? it's just like, okay, well, I mean, they're just natural pest control. When their whole control. entire head is barely as big as like the tip of your pinky finger, like, <laughs> there's no fangs there. If they tried to bite you, it'd probably feel like somebody flicking your skin. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I don't that know. That just kind of it's... reminded me of with the poison sumac of your chance of running into poison sumac is probably smaller than your chance of running into even a poisonous snake depending on where you're at but that just kind of there was an association there in my mind yeah i how that you brought that up like if i find a snake in the yard that's awesome like that is so cool yeah i'm like oh awesome thank you keep doing what you're doing i've picked up at least a couple dozen just random snakes out in the wild and never one time been bit And that's me either trying to get them out of the road or move them if I'm trying to mow in the yard or, hey, here's a snake. I want to pick it up. Never one time been (laughs) bit. And also keeping in mind, I know how to identify venomous snakes, at least in the general area of the Midwest that I'm from. But and luckily, we don't live in like southwestern United States where rattlers are more of an issue. Right. We don't really have to worry about moving a rock and there's a diamond back there. Right. Because there are timber, the re- there are the timber rattlesnakes, Ethan. but the, say that again. There are timber rattlesnakes. I think of the four venomous snakes in Illinois, I think all but one or maybe all of them are either threatened or endangered. So very low populations. 
shovels being their number one right <laughs> cause yeah. of death yeah uh, well anyway well that was that was a tangent yeah but as any listener now knows that we have a passion for snakes yep and stop killing snakes because they exist <laughs> right yeah if you, if you want more mice and rats I think keep killing we need snakes. to move away from punishing the snake i think eve needs to take responsibility for eating the fruit and the snake needs to stop being punished for just being in the area talking to her about it. Yeah. I don't blame Entenmann's for making delicious donuts. I blame myself when I eat the donuts. Like, I, is that <laughs> your... <laughs> yeah. So anyway, all right. Getting back on track from, from snakes to, to poisonous plants. Poison sumac, blah, blah, blah. Grow low, tiger eyes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I think that was it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One thing, I guess, before it's your turn was when we were getting just a little bit of refreshers as far as what we wanted to talk about and making sure that we were going to be giving correct information on this episode. I didn't realize that all three, Poison Oak, Poison Sumac, Poison Ivy, were all in originally the Roos genus r-h-u-s which is the sumac genus mm -hmm. and now have all been reclassified into toxicodendron which i think from what we read had to do with the fact that they all contain the same chemical that causes the skin boils and lesions and rashes after interaction with them right so anyway i thought that was an interesting thing especially because i to me, poison oak and poison ivy make sense that they're related because they have that trifoliate leaf. Right. They look very, very similar. But to me, poison sumac looks nothing like those two. So yeah, to have it them has the be compound, It has that compound leaf of what, seven to 13 leaves per kind of stem. And they're little leaflets um, in pairs. Yep. Yeah. Whereas, as we'll describe with oak and poison ivy, they're in three little leaf compound yeah, little leaf. flusters. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, that's my little short bit that turned into snake bit on sumac. Yeah. So then as far as poison oak, it also has a somewhat limited range, although more so than sumac. It seemed like the main range and there is an eastern and a western poison oak the western it seems like more so runs from like what british columbia down into like the very far western united states yeah it looked um, like kind of in like, uh, california british, yeah, california yeah. yeah and then the eastern runs in kind of a southern band from kansas across to kind of the new jersey area that east west area but further south in the South Central Midwest band there, we were looking, we were hoping to find some resources from either Missouri Botanical Garden or the Missouri Department of Conservation. And what we found is that technically in Missouri, and we'll point this out specifically because we record the podcast from St. Louis, technically Poison Oak is a native to Missouri, but your chance of running into it is so, so, so slim. It's more it would so, likely be in southern Missouri. Right. Pretty far south. It seemed like more so prevalent in the 
Kansas and New Jersey ends of that band across that part of the U.S. So again, your chance of running into it is fairly low, but it has... It's in a cluster of three leaves, and it can be basically a low-lying plant on the ground, about a foot tall to, what, three to four feet tall if it's in more of a shrub form. And unlike poison ivy, because like we'll describe, poison ivy has a grouping of three leaves as well, the poison oak leaf has a more rounded tip to it, whereas the poison ivy has a pointed tip And the poison oak leaf, of course, as the name says, can have more lobing on the side of the leaves that is essentially a less drastic version of what a true oak leaf would look like. Yeah, it's got more of like that rounded lobing, whereas poison ivy can have more of like that toothed margin, Mm -hmm. not like sawtooth, but, you know, definitely has... But they are, they're still very, very similar looking. When I just pulled up a Google search, just because I was curious what would hit on Google, and it was a lot of dot coms. When I just typed in poison oak, I would say at least two thirds of the photos that showed up were actually poison ivy. So really depending on what you, what you're looking at. And for anyone that's been listening to us for any amount of time is not surprising to you that. We have some feelings about dot coms and misinformation about plant related things on the internet, but do be careful with that kind of thing. I'll post again some links in the episode description so that you can see photos of these three plants from reliable sources as far as getting a better idea of what they truly look like because a Google search might lead you astray a little bit. Though, for the most part, if you stumble across something like that that looks like poison ivy, best to just. Yeah, just don't touch it. Right. And I don't know Although if you said it, the active chemical is urishiol, if anyone's yes, curious. Uh, we didn't say that. So yeah, good call. Urishiol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The same chemical across all three plants. So then poison ivy? Poison ivy. Everyone's favorite vine that can also <laughs> be a bush. Yeah, it can yeah. be really either, again, kind of you'll see it in individual sprigs, smaller leaved on the ground to a big cluster because it kind of spreads underground by roots and vines. And then I've seen it up the side of a huge tree with a vine as thick as a soda can. It can really have varying presence on the ground. You said you've seen it with like leaves that were like football size too. Yep. Yep. I've seen either like the new leaves that are really tiny to the more standard size. That's a leaf that's like what, two to three inches is the most common size. But yeah, in like low lying, shadier areas with a lot of moisture, maybe near a canal or a creek or something like that. I have definitely seen it both on the ground and in vine form. Yeah. With leaves, just massive football size. And we found it when we were looking at a park and identifying some of the plants in this kind of wild portion of the park. And I skimmed right past it because it didn't fit in what I have created as as far as like this box that Ivy sits in for mm-hmm. me visually, what I have seen and experienced. And you said, hey, that's poison ivy. And I was like, what? Because it, it was a rather large shrub, like our size and height Mm -hmm. and the leaves were much larger than what I normally consider like two or three times the size of what I tend to consider poison ivy leaves looking like. Yeah. And so it just like, 
it very much opened my my eyes and gave me a new perspective as far as how drastically different this plant can look all still having that same trifoliate leaf that is always going to be the staple but because the leaf was larger and it was this shrub this large leafed shrub it just didn't even click to me as we're looking through here that I had almost interacted with that plant out of ignorance. And not only is there a lot of variance in the form it can take, you know, like we said, varying sizes on the ground or as a vine, the leaves themselves can have a lot of variation. And in our research to get some more detailed information for this episode, you had found there are what, six different subspecies, more common subspecies of poison ivy. So that definitely could play into some of that really wide variation that we see. Um, Yeah. um, What did it say? I have a book here. Yeah. So there are nine species of poison ivy and six uh, subspecies, I should say, and six of those subspecies are in the U.S. Okay. So it is very likely that you will see it anywhere in the United States, just about. Yeah. And most commonly, I feel like I've heard people, you know, you hear the phrase leaves of three, leave them be or whatever variation of that. A lot of things have clusters of three leaves. So it's not always like the best thing to really pick out what you're looking at as far as knowing for sure that it's poison ivy. But the other one I hear quite a bit is that sometimes the leaves will look like like a hand like a in a mitten because you have that kind of distinct lobe, like where a thumb would be and then the points for where the fingers would be. But sometimes it does have that shape. Sometimes you'll see some kind of pointed to rounded points on both sides of the leaf. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's more scalloped. Sometimes it's a little more pointed, but yeah, there's a lot of variation there. And again, I'll in some of those photos, I'll post in links. I'll try to get ones that have some varied photos so you can get an idea of just how much variation there is. Almost always, though, you will see that red coloration to the new growth of the stems connecting the leaves. Mm-hmm. So it will have more of that reddish tone to it. Yeah. And if you are noticing it in fall, poison ivy does tend to produce a reddish orange fall color to it. It's actually a rather nice fall color. Yeah. So yeah, if you're looking for a, a nice ground cover with fall color, just plant. <laughs> no. Please don't. <laughs> in fact, that makes me think of, because we didn't ask her if we could name drop her, I'll just refer to her as Kay. One of our you know listeners. Who you, yeah, you know who you are, Kay. Yep. Another horticulturist. And she, through Facebook Messenger, <laughs> sent us a picture of someone who had it growing up their light pole. Yep. <laughs> and so she she sends me this picture and says, the fall color is going to be gorgeous in a few weeks. To which I then responded, I just got itchy looking at that. <laughs> she says... I can't help but wonder if it's as big as it is because they don't want to pull it or they really don't know what it is. To which I responded, I mean, it does get decent fall color. And she says, maybe I'll wait until it changes and knock on the door and ask for a cutting. I say, (laughs) please don't. (laughs) She says, I'll get one for you, too, if you want. I'll mail it. I said, I need to go shower. (laughs) I then followed that up with douse it in horticulture vinegar and laugh maniacally, make a huge scene, get the neighbors involved, hand them super soakers full of herbicide, get a flamethrower and take turns raising it. But for the love of Gaia, don't take a cutting. (laughs) She says, man, you know how to party. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
So yeah, that was also one of the things that kind of sparked us doing this episode. I was like, oh, we could totally with this and other stories and our recounting of Poison Ivy, because like so many other things in this industry, we're not, I don't categorize us as professionals or experts because we have done everything correctly. Right. (laughs) Sometimes you fail. And you use that failure, that experience to better yourself and to learn and not make those mistakes again. And that very much applies to Poison Ivy. Totally interacted with it, thinking it's not going to be that big of a deal or "Ah, I've never really gotten affected by it before. And then all of a sudden, holy crap. Yeah, (laughs) it's everywhere. It's so bad now. This reminds me, and also speaking of the variation and how the the poison ivy can appear, and speaking of professionals, and I'm going to use like real heavy air quotes there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think I know what story you're going to tell. Yeah. Another one of our listeners, a friend of mine that's involved in horticulture, she's helped me on landscape projects before. She was working for the parks department in a city in Illinois. And one day I'm out landscaping, working on a project and I get a text from her and it's a picture of what is very obviously poison ivy and, you know, a little, just an individual plant kind of growing at the base of a tree. And she's like, Hey, this is poison ivy, right? And I was like, yeah, no question at all. That's poison ivy. She's like, okay, that's what I thought. Cause my supervisor, I pointed it out to my supervisor And she said, no, it's definitely not poison ivy. And to prove to this parks maintenance crew that it was not poison ivy, she pulled off a leaf and rubbed it on her arm. Which, yeah, um, I, I laughed so much. So, and... <laughs> it's, so stupid. it's really stupid, yeah. So and because I was in the middle of this project and we, you know, we chatted about something else, I I totally forgot about it for like a week or two. And this same I have tears in my I eyes know. again. It's so <laughs> and so I totally forgot about it. And it was at least a week or two later, the same listener sent me a text about something else. And I go, wait, actually, I need to follow up. Like, what happened to the supervisor with the poison ivy rubbing it on her arm? Because, and we'll get into this later more with one of my other personal stories specific to me, but some people can have an immunity to the chemical that's in poison ivy. So... I was like, man, if, if it's she, not a call to arms, right? If I like go and try yeah, to find that out, it's a very small percentage of people. And I was like, man, if that supervisor happens to be one of those people that's immune, this story wouldn't be funny. But um, she's not. So, <laughs> so this listener tells me when I ask what happened, she goes, she got poison ivy. Because when you first get into poison ivy, you can spread the chemical around. Now, once it's started to blister and all that, and you're, you have weeping blisters and stuff like that, that oil can't spread around anymore from my understanding. I know it's a very common misconception that 
anytime you have a poison ivy rash and the blisters, you can just spread it and spread it and spread it. But I believe the actual case is that there's a limited window of time when that oil first interacts with your skin that after that window of getting it on yourself and spreading it around, after that it's not going to continue. But if you um, rub it on your arm and keep working all day, turns out... Hey, Ethan, do you hear that? What? Oh, it's an ad. Real quick, thanks for listening to our episode today. You can stay in touch with us by supporting us on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash take it or leave it. And we'll have bonus content on Patreon for all of our subscribers there where you can get extra episodes and snippets from the show that we don't release to all the other platforms. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Take It or Leaf It Pod. And you can also visit our website, takeitorleafitpod.com. If you have any questions or comments or any stories you'd like us to research or talk about, or hell, send us a picture of a plant you want us to identify, you can send that information to show at takeitorleafitpod.com. You can also follow us on our individual Instagrams. I am at Hortwise, H-O-R-T-W-I-S-E. And I am at N Farringdon, N-F-A-R-R-I-N-G-D-O-N. Thanks so much. We'll get back to the episode. Oh, you got me. (laughs) Turns out she got it on both arms and her chest and her face. So I think now she knows what poison ivy looks like. If I had to guess. It sucks. It's like, because we both have it or we've both had it and we know how much it sucks. I'm seeing stars. I laugh too hard. Uh, But the arrogance of her intentionally rubbing it on herself to prove a point to her subordinates who no longer have any respect for her knowledge. Right. She just lost all of her credibility with the people that she is supposed to supervise. Yep. Because she rubbed poison ivy all over her body in front of them, telling them it was not poison ivy. Like that's, that's, it's more, it, that is way more funny to me than her actually getting something so painful because it is, it does really suck. Yeah. But just that scenario, that's, that's comedy gold. (laughs) If you, if you are running some sort of landscape parks, maintenance, whatever crew, and you can't identify poison ivy. I feel like that is horticulture 101 if you're going to be working out in the field. Right. You, if you are you into forestry or park management. Yeah. You just I have mean, to, to me, know. It's just like a chef saying, no, 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 that's not rotten. It's totally fine. Right. I'll prove it. And then they eat it and then get a horrible yeah. diarrhea. That's not a carrot. You know, it's <laughs> just like, man, if you're really going to have that level of confidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If anything, I hope that that particular supervisor has been humbled by the world of horticulture, as we all should be at some point in time. Yeah. And we also had an interaction with a guy when we were together with Poison Ivy, and that was at your bachelor party, of all places. Oh, yeah, when we went paintball. Yeah, so we went to this cool, what was the name of that place? It doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah, we went paintballing, me and the groomsmen and the usher and there was all these cool courses and one of the courses was like in the woods yeah 
And this guy was so sure of himself, unbeknownst to him, that two of the people in this group are like very aware of what Poison Ivy is and uh, is actively telling us many times, like he's trying to convince himself too, that all of this Poison Ivy in this area was not Poison Ivy. And to give you guys everywhere. to give you guys a picture, this is like a course in the woods, but they have put down like gravel so that you have like a little bit of an even surface to run around on. But mm-hmm. almost every plant growing up through the gravel in the main pathways to the sides along the trees, it was almost all small poison <laughs> ivy plants. And it, like it, it wasn't like sneaky poison ivy, like what I said before when I was saying like you told me about this one shrub that I didn't anticipate being poison ivy because yeah. it didn't quite match. Like this is what you think of as poison ivy, right? All over this course, everywhere. And he was like, "Oh, don't worry, I know it looks like it. It's totally not." And we spray for poison ivy, and it's totally safe. And he just kept saying it over and over again. And because we split up in teams and we were on separate teams. And yeah. I just remember you telling your group of guys, yeah. <laughs> what one of up, them, and me telling my group of guys like, hey, definitely stay away from all of that. Yeah. One of the guys, <laughs> as soon as the course instructor guy walked away, one of the guys goes, hey, so is all that actually poison ivy? I go, don't touch anything here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's everywhere. Right? Yeah. <laughs> So we played and that course say, one we time. only played that yeah, yeah. one time. We're like, yep, let's let's go other places. Yeah. And luckily none of us ended up getting hit. You said you thought maybe one of us ended up getting a little douse of it, but but nothing I don't crazy. Rem- yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that. Do you wanna talk about your excursion getting completely covered in poison ivy? Yeah. Yeah. This was the story that while we were out on the Kentucky hike that my friend brought up. And I was like, Oh yeah, that traumatic incident. <laughs> So this was, I think back in 2021, I was doing kind of a landscape renovation for a client, cleaning up some existing, removing some shrubs that were performing really well, and then planting a few new things just to kind of spruce everything up before this house was put up for sale. And in the front of the house, there was a weeping Japanese maple, like a burgundy leaf, cut leaf, Japanese maple, like about four feet tall. And then the branches weep down almost completely to the ground. And then next to that, there was a big six, eight foot tall oak leaf hydrangea. And under and between both of these, a poison ivy vine had gotten very established. This house had been empty for, I believe, a couple of years at that point. So this poison ivy vine found some shady spots to grow on the south side facing of the house and just went crazy, particularly underneath the Japanese maple because it's, you know, weeping to the ground. So all of underneath was totally shaded. And... To give a little backstory, like I alluded to before, some people are immune to the chemical that causes the poison ivy rash. I, up until that point, was also one of those people. So many times in the past, whether it's hiking in the woods or interacting with it in landscapes at home or for family members, whatever, I've had many run-ins with poison ivy many times, sometimes intentionally having it touch my skin just to double check. Yes, I'm still immune. Pulled it out barehanded, the whole thing. In this particular case... I'm so uncomfortable. Yeah. In this particular case, 
the underside of this Japanese maple, because it's so dense and weeping to the ground, there was a lot of old dead branch material in the underside of the canopy of this. So as I'm going through and pulling out poison ivy, I had also pruned up and snipped off a lot of these dead branches, which then, because they've been in there a while, they're dead and crispy, it made a lot of sharp points. And in this process, I ended up getting several light scratches on both of my arms. And keeping in mind, I was wearing gloves for this, uh, like rubber gloves, but not all the way up to the elbow or anything. So I pull all this poison ivy out, I bag it up in contractor trash bags, and I washed my arms immediately, I think three times, three or four times with the extra strength Dawn dish soap. And even after doing it that many times and washing my arms immediately, because I had those open cuts on my arms within, I don't know, 12 hours to the next day, I started getting poison ivy blistering, starting at those cuts and then just radiating outwards on both arms, essentially from elbow to wrist and even a little bit on my hands, both arms. And... The first couple days, I was like, ah, this is pretty terrible, but I think maybe it's done. And then over the next, basically within the first week to 10 days, it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And after the fact, reading about it more online on some like reputable medical sites, uh, probably should have gone to the hospital. But I didn't. In fact, I tried to work a couple of those days with long sleeves so I wouldn't get anything in these open poison ivy issues. But that quickly, I realized that was not going to work. I think I lost about two weeks of work days while I was waiting for that to get to a point that everything was closed up. So that was pretty rough. I think for Christmas that year, as somewhat of a joke, you gave me a poison ivy bar of soap and elbow length rubber gloves. Yes. <laughs> and since then, I discovered it was actually a product that my grandparents introduced me to. They live out in the country and both get poison ivy or are interacting with poison ivy very regularly. And that product is called Zanfel, Z-A-N-F-E-L. And it's available, I think, most drugstores or at least a bigger, like a Walgreens or a Meyer or something like that that has a bigger drugstore type section. It's very expensive. I think it's like a little one ounce tube for 30 or $40, but it has these kind of paraffin granules and then some kind of chemical in it that apparently after you've been exposed or even after the blisters have started, you can use this as kind of... you put it on your skin with water and it becomes kind of a scrub. And apparently that can clean out and remove that urichial chemical from the poison ivy and really either stop from getting the rash to begin with or reduce it once it's started. Now, since that time of having that really bad exposure, I have used the Xanfil a few times when I've gotten into poison ivy and knew that I got into poison ivy and didn't have any issues. So I can't say 100% that it works because maybe I still have an immunity as long as I don't have broken skin. I don't know. I should test it sometime by getting myself into some poison IV, but please don't. (laughs) (laughs) Don't. So, but that was my one and only quite severe 
interaction with poison ivy where I actually had something happen from it. <sighs> yeah, it was bad. Like your arms, you looked like a burn victim. Yeah. It, it was looked like I had really, third degree burns, like really bad. It was disgusting. Yeah. Especially the day you came into work and at the end of it, after wearing long sleeve shirts all day, and then you pulled up your sleeves. Mm-hmm. It was disgusting. Yeah. Oh. It looked it looked like I had been burned and then just decided to not get skin grafts. <laughs> <laughs> like me removing your arms with a dull pruner would have looked better <laughs> than what you had. <laughs> yeah, it, it took so- I didn't scar too bad as far as long term, but it took it took probably a year before the main areas where the scratches where it first all started at those entrance points before those those scars went away. Mm. That's pretty rough. Do you still have those gloves? I do still have those gloves. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the product that I used when I had it really bad was at least one of them, the common one, because it was so easy to find, was IvaRest, I-V-A-R-E-S-T, mm-hmm. over-the-counter cream. And it came out kind of like a pinkish tone. And I think the main purpose of that was oh, to... Stop the itching. Um, right. And to dry mm-hmm. up the, you yeah. know pustules on your skin yeah i tried that, and it worked it worked really well with that (laughs) it must only work to a certain level of severity (laughs) it certainly was not something i could apply on the huge portions Mm -hmm. uh that i had gotten on my body but the smaller portions and i only had one really bad interaction where it got all over my body other times i'll get like a little tiny patch here there sometimes Mm -hmm. um and ivoresc can help in those sort of situations especially if i apply it soon enough yep but yeah my bad experience that left scars on my body for a couple of years was when I was working primarily doing lawn maintenance, we were just mostly mowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a buddy of mine. And this was, I don't know, 2012, 2013. And this was before... No, no, no. I was I was already in school for horticulture. I, was, I think I was maybe at least a semester or two into one of my horticulture degree programs. And so just a way to kind of work in the industry and make decent money. We certainly made pretty good money for what we did. And my buddy and I, we just drove around mowing people's yards and and doing minor yard maintenance. One of the jobs that we ended up doing was removing Virginia creeper and wild grapevine off of a privacy fence in someone's backyard. We didn't thoroughly scan it well enough. And amongst the Virginia creeper and wild grapevine, there was also poison ivy, unfortunately. Mm. And we were in cutoff tees and shorts. <laughs> I think I was wearing basketball shorts because mm-hmm. it was so hot. Just what you uh, want to do was, outdoor landscape work in. I have since like here 10 years later when i go and i do landscape work i wear pants i wear pants and a button-up shirt with an undershirt yep and yeah i the only part of my body exposed during any sort of landscape job is my wrist to my elbows yep (laughs) that is it so yeah so cut off tees and basketball shorts and tennis shoes and we're just yanking all this off and we're sweating profusely so our pores are open and ready to 
to take in all of the spritz and spray of the poison ivy vine that was mixed in with what we were doing. And we hauled away like a trailer full of all of this yard waste. And it was the next day that we both, my buddy, he got it, but not nearly as bad as me. Mm -hmm. It took over almost the entire left side of my body. Mm. It was everywhere from my neck to my ankle. And it was so bad on my sides because it was like large open area where the cut shirt was, uh, mm-hmm. the cutoff sleeve was. And because it had, because I was just wearing basketball shorts, you know, it kind of soaked through that easily. And I had my whole left butt cheek was a giant poison ivy sore. It looked like South America on my butt. And Yeah, it lasted. It took so long to dry it up, obviously not working because I couldn't, you know, it was just so itchy, so painful. It was so bad. I probably also lost at least a week, maybe two weeks of work just trying to get that under control. And then, yeah, for almost two years after that, the scars, especially the one on my butt cheek, lasted for a while. And I thought I was always going to have a giant South America imprint on my butt from Poison (laughs) Ivy. But it did finally go away. And uh, so, yeah, that was my learning experience with dealing with that plant was to be better prepared. Don't wear, the, you know, that type of clothing anymore while doing landscape work and to better check my environment when working in anything overgrown, especially in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a part of your yard that hasn't been touched in years, there's certainly a discernible percentage chance that you will encounter poison ivy in that spot. Yeah. Like uh, if you made a pie chart, there would be a noticeable chunk <laughs> of that pie chart associated with their likelihood percentage chance that you would have of interacting with poison ivy. Right. So please, please, please address any unadulterated area in your yard that you want to remedy, clean up, change, approach it as if there is poison ivy there if you live in the midwest yeah yeah and i've seen it pop up little pieces pop up in just random mulched landscape beds well i think some of that has to do too because apparently the berries that it'll produce are favored by a lot of bird life Mm -hmm. and so they'll eat them and then my theory is that they you know just like other things like barberries or burning bush or mulberry uh, tree Right. They'll they'll eat it. And as it moves through their digestive system and works its way out the other end. Now there's just a fertilized seed mm-hmm. that can pop up wherever. Yep. <sighs> what a nightmare. And for anyone listening who hasn't had a negative poison ivy interaction, it's extremely itchy if you're lucky and extremely itchy to so itchy that you want to scratch your skin off to so itchy and so painful it feels like your skin is actively on fire it was a very unique level of pain and yeah. discomfort like if to you have that if you've kind gotten of in, itchiness yeah and and pain at the same time mm-hmm. if you've gotten into it that bad you're not thinking about much else other than how much your skin itches and hurts yeah yeah there was nothing you could really do uh, when it got that bad like when it's on that much of your body whew. Yeah. So part of me. Yeah. So that's our our fun experience with poison ivy. Yeah. Part of me does want to know how much that Xanfell stuff works after exposure. If it does truly work like they say. 
you are a scientist, so I you am. should probably well. Probably I would start a, a control and an experiment. I would probably start by just getting it on my skin, like rubbing a little poison. I you know rubbing my leg up against a leaf or something just to see. Because if if I'm still immune on non broken skin, I don't even care. <laughs> are you going to light it on fire too and breathe in the fumes? <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> If you have yeah. a burn pile Don't that has burn your poison, poison ivy, poison oak, or poison sumac, that you say it, I can't say Eurishiol. it. Eurishiol. It turns into a whole other horrible compound when it caught up. It does not in. break down. It survives <laughs> the heat of fire and then becomes vaporized and you can breathe it in. And that is a whole other set of problems. Now you get that chemical inside of your body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My God, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was so because I got part of the poison ivy on my groin. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't completely encompass it, all of the twigs and berries, thank God. But it definitely touched it. And that alone was so uncomfortable Yeah, to have it mildly touching my situation. I can't imagine having it internal. Right. Like I to have something like that burning and itching inside of you. Yeah. Pretty rough. Well, anything else we should add to this? Have we have we touched base? I guess like a good recap would be you had the poison oak, which Mm -hmm. there's the Western and the Eastern. And the Eastern one was essentially listed as far as New Jersey to Florida and then Florida kind of stretching to Kansas. Yep. And Eastern was primarily British Columbia through California. Uh, Western, um, but yep. Yeah, Western, sorry. And Poison Sumac is just as rare, at least for us in the Midwest. And as far as the average American, probably the most rare for someone to encounter, no matter where you live in the U.S., as it almost entirely lives in swampy or bog areas. Yep. And much, then Poison Ivy being broken range. down. Yeah, yeah. And then poison ivy having multiple subspecies is more readily adapted to live and thrive in multiple areas of the United States. So that's by far the most common one. Mm-hmm. And poison oak, poison ivy, very, very similar look to the leaves. If you're worried, might as well just avoid it. Poison sumac very much looks like what I think traditionally people would associate to a sumac leaf as that palmately compound leaf with mm-hmm. multiple leaflets on there. Yeah. And as far as if you do get exposed to poison ivy, of course, we're definitely not offering any medical advice here, just our personal stories and interactions with it. If it's pretty bad, yeah, don't do what I did and maybe go to a doctor. <laughs> and if you I do, didn't go to a doctor either. <laughs> if you do look online for some of that kind of exposure information and options for treating it, whatever. As always, like we recommend, even if you're trying to find good plan information, make sure you're using like an actual reputable site and not some random dot com. And you're going to put some links in there. We found stuff from the United States Department mm-hmm. of Agriculture. As um, far look- as plant ID and knowing what to look for, yes. But as far as anything medical advice related, we're not getting into that territory. Right. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. And yeah, if you have a local extension office for a horticulture department of a college or a botanical garden site that is, you know, relative to where you live, Mm-hmm. Uh, those would be great sources to use if you're ever concerned. Because as we stated before, at least with poison ivy, 
it can have several different forms. Always the trifoliate leaves. Pretty sure always going to have the red growth to the new growth. And that red uh, tinge the red, on the, the red coloration tinge in the, in the stems. Mm-hmm. But there could be mild differences in the shape of the leaf itself mm-hmm. uh, and the margins and the serrations that might happen. So just keep that in mind. As I know a lot of people tend to get confused as I've seen people misidentify things like Virginia creeper and kudzu as having similar qualities to poison ivy, but yet those are not going to have the same sort of effect that poison ivy will have on you. Yeah. Virginia creeper is a pretty common, either just occurring in the wild that you can get, you know, growing up the side of your shed or your fence posts or your chain link. And has similar fall color too. Yeah. It does have that red fall color, but it has a five leaf compound leaf um, yes, and kind of a narrow to a point leaf. So the leaves really don't look that similar, but just because it is Having that similar fall color, acting as a vine, either on the ground or up some kind of structure, a lot of times those do get confused. But uh, a Virginia creeper, there are actually some really nice ornamental versions that you could use to grow up your light post as a poison ivy substitute if you want yeah. something that actually looks nice and isn't going to cause you a horrible rash. Yep. Yeah. And kudzu does have trifoliate leaves, but the leaves look nothing like mm, sure. poison ivy. And that's and I, a kudzu is probably invasive. not even that popular or common in the Midwest, right? Because that's generally considered to be pretty invasive and not desirable for other reasons. Absolutely, yeah. I think that about wraps us up for our poison ivy slash oak slash sumac episode. Yeah, one thing that I'm taking away is never be so cocky and arrogant when it comes to poison ivy. Yep, and for. For the love of horticulture, if you have people that are your students or your people that you supervise, don't rub it on your body telling them that it's not what it is. Right. <laughs> that That is going to live in my brain rent-free for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you told me that, it's still just as funny. Yeah. Just I, for some reason, it's like, to me, it's like a Seinfeld skit. Like I could totally see Kramer being that person and then completely being covered mm-hmm. in poison ivy and everyone else just like, look at this asshole. Right. <laughs> well, oh, hopefully, man. hopefully at the very least, because it is such a common plant to run into with the poison ivy, hopefully between how we have described it, between getting some chuckles over our misadventures with it. Hopefully now between our description and some of the links that I'll provide in the episode description, that will help more of you be able to identify it if you weren't familiar with how to identify it, or even if you were familiar, maybe give you a different look of a different form that it can come in just to be extra cautious when you're out there doing your nature-related activities. Yeah, so you'll have links and wherever you'll be able to listen to our podcast, you'll have those links. And then on our social media pages, I will also put in the description, if not maybe the comment section, if it's more visible or or looks better there, I'll also have reputable visual information there for people to be able to make the best identifications that they can. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it. That's our poison plants, our ruse plants, now referred to as toxicodendrons, the three popular ones, poison sumac, poison oak, poison ivy. And this has been Take It or Leaf It. I'm Ethan Wise. And I'm Nick Farrington. Thanks for listening. 